This is Killstreak. New England vampires. This is Killstreak, episode 129. Right? Yeah. I wrote it down wrong. I believe I? I believe you. Yeah. I think it's 129. Guys, Eric Eric came up with New England vampires uh one half of a second before he started. <laughs> and and you can really tell. Yeah. I know. I realized I didn't write like what I what I normally do is as mm-hmm. I'm watching the film, and in this case, we're talking about Salem's Lot, the miniseries from yeah. Toby Hooper. Uh, I'll pick up on something that happens in the film and I'll yeah. call it back in my greetings. And I for realize I didn't do that. On this I, it's something that I love that you do. And I and I always forget that it's a thing you're going to do. And then you do it and <laughs> I get a real kick out of it. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, no problem. But you were busy this week creating other great content for the podcast but we'll get yeah to that we have later. we have a new uh feature for this stephen king series yeah uh and i'm excited to unveil it well, yeah. but we'll get to that in I the second too. segment yeah um i always forget uh, before i forget so i i listened to a bit of uh our last episode because you know I, I had to record it from Wisconsin. Yeah, apologies for. <laughs> Go ahead. What? I don't know what were you gonna say? I'd say apology. I had some tech issues on that one. We did it like late the night before, oh, yeah. and I, I I forgot. Yeah, if you had to listen, we can live with ninety seconds of dead air sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not the worst transgression we've committed. No, but I was gonna say, do I sound just exactly the same? talking into my phone as I do into this <laughs> podcast microphone? I, no, I think you sound much better talking into this podcast mic. I couldn't tell the difference. I feel like the audio quality was the same. I don't, I don't know. know why that is. Because yeah. we're both using the exact same microphone. I know. It's weird. I don't, I don't understand. I think we should start like a real arms race where I'm going to get like a $500 like sure mic with one of those <laughs> like spring loaded arms. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I have a shitty spring loaded arm, but anyways. Um, yeah. Uh, real quick, I watched a movie a couple days ago. It was a horror mm-hmm. movie. I don't mm-hmm. do that a lot these days outside of the podcast. So I thought I'd shout it out. Watcher on um, it's on Shutter. Okay. Stars uh, Micah Monroe. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, it's directed by a woman named Chloe Kuno. Is that right? Yes, it is. Um, it was good. I enjoyed it. I recommend it to people. I'm really excited about Barbarian. Me too. I'm going to try oh. to see that this week. Yeah, we're, Jim Hall and I are going to go try to see it sometime. I'll let you know when we do. Okay, thank you. Please do. I was talking to friend of the podcast Mookie last night about trying to go see it sometime. So oh. who knows? Maybe the four of us can go see it. Yeah. Let me know. I'll All right. tag along. 
I will let you know. Maybe bring Jim. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. What's up, Jim? Hi, Jim. Um, okay. Do you have anything you want to talk about at the top before we jump right into Salem's Lot stuff? No, I don't think so. It's been a busy week for me. So okay. I, I don't have much else going on. Okay. So as promised last week, we 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 dove pretty deep in into the the De Palma world because uh, it I think it's safe to say that's going to be the only time we get to to cover a Brian De Palma movie on the podcast. Yeah, unless we do like a a, a goofy month where we do the Mission Impossible movies, <laughs> we just don't do yeah. horror at all. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, yeah, does he have a, have another horror movie? I mean, no, not a straight out horror movie. Yeah. It's funny because because uh, Blowout and Body Double both uh, are bookended by fake horror movies. Yes, um, yes, interesting. But well, Body Double would probably be the closest. Or Sisters is kind of a horror movie, okay. but it's it's okay. kind of a they're all kind of thrillers. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, last week was for De Palma. This week. Could be for Toby Hooper, but we've already talked about a bit yeah. about Toby Hooper because we covered the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. So uh, it would be a good time to check in chronologically on what's going on with our man, Stever King. Um, Did you say I, Stever? Yeah, I thought I was going uh, <laughs> to give that a go for a while. Like, for a second, I wasn't sure if our call just got glitched. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a it's like a a, a friendly nickname, Stever. I like it. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so I think you mentioned last week for folks who don't know, uh, King, a main man, of course, mm-hmm. um, was mostly working as a teacher when he started writing. Um, he got a uh, a degree in English in, at the end of the '60s, and then I think in the early '70s. He started teaching. I think he stayed in Maine the whole time, as far as I know. Yeah, I think he went to University of Maine. He did. Uh, he did. Um, he started writing short stories, I think, around the late 60s, um, which is kind of – it's it was, it was shocking to me to go down this road and realize that there's at least a handful of things that I'm aware that, – that I've read or, or was pretty aware of that he wrote – before 1970, mm-hmm. like um, the raft. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh wow, like, that's a yeah. I love it, that one. It's a great short story. Um, ended up in Creep Show Two, which we won't be covering on this run, but is really the for for my money the only uh, segment of Creep Show Two that's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the other ones are okay, but uh, yeah, that was that was like a 67, 68. Wow. He wrote that. Um, the first Bachman book, yeah. uh, The Long Walk, right? He wrote that. Is he that uh, one or Rage? I can't remember which came yeah. first. Yeah, but he, he definitely was writing Bachman books at that point. Not publishing, to be clear. Um, the Raft got published in a magazine, but The Long Walk, I think, didn't actually get published until the end of the 70s. Long Walk's also really good. Um, I think he also wrote The Gunslinger. When he was like 19. I know he started. I think he didn't started really. Started it. Yeah. He, it was a work in progress for a long time. Got but it. yes, as far as I know, he sort of talks about that, like in terms of the genesis and the start date, that was maybe the first novel he ever started writing. Um, but yeah, so when Carrie came out, uh, 
it, it was bought by Doubleday in, in 73. Um, and according to him from, from his book on writing, which I would suggest to anyone, literally, great book. literally it's a, anyone, <laughs> it's a great book. Yeah. Uh, whether or not you care about writing, it's, it's mm-hmm. worth reading. Um, so Carrie, he sold to Doubleday for a couple thousand bucks. Um, but it, it hit it pretty big. And so money already started coming in from paperbacks. So. So the paperback rights later in the year, even I think even just a couple months after the hardcover came out, um, sold for almost half a million dollars, uh, which uh, he got to split down the middle with Doubleday, which, mm. you know, it seems like it's funny because it's like in one way, it's like, oh, God, you have to give half your money to the publishing company. Yeah. <laughs> but then in the other way, you're like, well, he got to keep half the money. <laughs> yeah. In $250,000 in 1970. Yeah four or whatever that's yeah. pretty good nothing to sneeze at yeah um so so that was may of 73 so carrie did well enough right out of the gate that you know double day was 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 ready and waiting for his next book um and that was salem's lot uh published in 1975 so so i think we'll we'll probably depart from this like one-to-one chronology eventually but mm-hmm. for now First book, first movie. Second book, second movie. Mm-hmm. Um, not really movie. We'll get. To, I'm sure we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that'll come up. <laughs> um, so Salem's Lot was published in '75, um, and then uh, about a year later, he headed off to snowy Colorado, and who knows? Maybe he wrote a book while he was there. Um, maybe. Maybe. There's no way to know. No. This is this is the end of the podcast. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, anyways, uh, some fun background stuff about Salem's Lot. I, I I read this interview with him, and I was like str- dumbstruck by how simple and obvious this is. But also, I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. It's like it's like child's play, and, and at the same time, it's just very like it seems almost like of course. Uh, so he was teaching, uh, and he was teaching the novel Dracula by Bram mm-hmm. Stoker. And according to him, he had a conversation with his wife, Tabitha, mm-hmm. um, and basically said, I wonder what would happen if Dracula came to America. And, you know, they sort of threw the idea around at dinner or whatever. And, you know, it, the joke was kind of like, well, you know, he'd show up in New York city and then like, you know, somebody would like, piss on his leg or something (laughs) you know new york new york new york of the 70s or whatever um but then you know kind of ran with the idea and and started exploring well like what if dracula came to a small town in the united states right and that's just such a again like i said like nowadays you would you would think of that and you'd be like well that's not a very creative idea but then at the time i was like it was yeah, it was it was a pretty good idea. It's a good idea if it's never been done, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that is, you know, essentially the kernel of the idea for Salem's Lot. The other thing that I found out that I thought was really cool is so you know Ben Mears, and we'll we'll get to this in a little bit, but his story of his his history with the Marston House, right, and this idea that when he was a kid he saw Hubie Marston 
hanging like the mm-hmm. ghost in the house mm-hmm. right this is all based on something that he claimed happened to him as a kid that he like he says you know it was a story that he told before he ever wrote the book this that he had been like climbing a hill or something in in Maine as a child and he saw the ghost of a hanged man hanging from a tree Whoa. and uh and uh, that was like something that stuck with him all through his childhood and as he grew up and you know kids see ghosts all the time whether or not that's actually real you know yeah i mean i i swore i saw one when i was like in preschool oh yeah in my first house yeah that's cool i don't know if i've ever seen a ghost I mean, like, I don't think it was a ghost. I no, think I mean, was a little kid. Who, yeah, but I'm saying, yeah. like, I don't even know if I ever thought I saw right, a Right, right, right. You know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, and, and, and essentially, you know, carried that idea around for decades. And then uh, when he was writing this book, he was just like, oh, yeah, there's a chance to to plug that into something. And, 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 and I think that's that's cool. And it's also something that I, you know, as I've started working on creative stuff again, more and more these last couple of years, I just kind of keep a running, I don't know if you call it a journal or a notebook or whatever it is, but just of like, of like little ideas, right? Not, mm-hmm. uh, not big ideas, just like, oh, I had a scary image in my head. And then maybe at some point I'll be able to just weave that into a larger idea. Um, that's fun. I like it. Yeah, it uh, is fun. It's fun uh, to, th- I love to, usually I think of those things when I'm about to fall asleep and then I, yeah. We'll write them down. I'll look at my notes app like sometime <laughs> after and be like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happens sometimes too. And sometimes it happens with what I think are just the best fucking ideas I've ever yeah, had. Yeah, same. I'll be mm-hmm. like, this is genius. And the thing is, I don't even think they're bad ideas. I think it's just I didn't explain them well enough. Yeah. And yeah. so then it's just this like nonsense is all that's left. Yeah. Um, but, um, uh, you know, one more sort of interesting detail I think about the Salem's Lot stuff that's worth worth mentioning is this is not the first thing that he wrote about Salem's Lot. So there is a short story in mm-hmm. Night Shift, which I mm-hmm. imagine you're familiar with, called Jerusalem's yep. Lot, right? Which is the name of the town. It's just shortened for the title of the of the movie and the book. And he actually wrote that in college. Um but I think that was another one that didn't get published until Night Shift. But it, it had been written in the 60s mm. um, where he had this idea of this town that is essentially getting overrun with vampires. Right? I don't remember uh, a ton about that short story other than it's really good. You know what I mean? It is. And it, honestly, it, I think the same can be said about the book Salem's Lot. Because at this point, I read it when I was like 23 mm-hmm. or 24. Um, yeah. So it's been a while. Been a while. Um, <laughs> and my memory is pretty fuzzy. Yeah. But I just remember loving it. Well, like, I, I mean, like we said last week, I read it like two or three years ago for the first yeah. time and I fucking loved it. So, yeah. Um, and then the last sort of piece of the puzzle, um, he was writing a column for his uh, University of Maine college newspaper. Uh, and he actually he wrote a little article about uh, an incident in Vermont and uh, where a a sort of Jamestown or not Jamestown a, a Roanoke esque mm. kind of mystery 
um, where there was like a sect of, of shakers uh, that completely disappeared. Their entire village disappeared. And the name of that village was Jeremiah's Lot. Oh. Yes. And so we can all, I think, assume that some of the kernel of this idea, you know, started there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, another success. Um, yeah, probably not that surprising to hear that uh, <laughs> Stephen King had succeeded in publishing a book. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, the publisher, this one sold for a little bit more than Carrie. I mean, he, he got a little more than half a million dollars for the paperback rights. And, and, uh, and then a few years later, uh, after the success of Carrie in 76, um, they wanted to make it into a movie. So this was not originally destined for TV. Mm. Um, but according to King and a couple other people, uh, there was just no one could really hack their way through a feature length screenplay for this. Okay. Um, and and there you know there were some attempts made, including by uh, Larry Cohen, mm-hmm. um, you know, director of Basket Case, and uh, uh, no, it's Hen and Lauder. Oh yeah, that's Hen and Lauder. Sorry, Larry Cohen is uh, the what's the lizard the one? stuff? Q, uh, the in, yeah, serpent, yeah. and and the stuff, and yeah, yeah. I'm I'm getting my New York. Uh, guys yeah both understand both like grindhouse new york yeah. guys uh i'm gonna have to go can you can you finish yeah okay that was <laughs> too embarrassing i can't handle it yeah <laughs> um so there was a producer uh on carrie a guy who was also a television writer his name is paul monash and uh he um, after Warner Brothers TV acquired the rights to Salem's Lot, um, after a couple different people had tried to get it made as a movie with to no avail, um, he was brought on to write the screenplay, or I guess we would call it a teleplay, mm-hmm. um, the script, you know, however you want to say. Um, and uh, he had worked on Peyton Place, which was a uh, a very well known primetime soap that aired uh in the 60s um and was i think very popular i've never seen it but i've, I've never heard seen about it. it yeah same L- leslie nielsen was on it i know that oh cool um <laughs> yeah but um one like like uh, some of the there was a famous review of salem's lot uh the the novel that basically said you know stephen king has married you know, Dracula and Peyton place. Hmm. Uh, and that was before this was getting made. So, so obviously, you know, you read the material and you think, okay, so we, you know, we, we need somebody who can bring that sort of sensibility. And so, so that's how they landed on, on Monash. And then Toby Hooper was basically just hot off of uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um mm-hmm. You know, because it was a few years old uh, when they started making this, and but it was, I think, starting to pick up some steam as far yeah. as... Yeah, he had made some other pretty low-budge stuff, like, uh, was it Motel Hell? Is that, is that him? I think that, yeah, but I think that comes after this. Oh, okay. I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure. You might um, be right. I want to say Motel Hell is like early 80s. Um, so uh, this gets turned into a script for a two-part TV miniseries um, set to air 
uh, in 79. I think this was, it was this ABC. I don't even know. Fucking, I should have um, written this down. I literally just looked up the trailer to it. I, I can't remember. Uh, Why is this so hard to find? CBS. 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 So this is uh, November of 1979. Kind of curious. It came out mid-November. You would think, uh, why don't we go for mid-October? Yeah. You know? You know? But it's a, we, we mentioned this last week, too. A curious amount of time has passed since Carrie. Not curious. It's just mm-hmm. you think like, oh, I, what time? The book came out in 76? The book came out in 76. book came out the, yeah. Yeah. So... I mean, I think I think part of it too is just the it was the sort of I think the rights were purchased very quickly. Yeah, but just then developing the yeah thing. the develop the development I think was a little bit protracted. Um, so I don't know if we'll end up talking about this later, Eric. But uh, the book set in the town of Salem's Lot, Maine, filmed mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Northern California in a town called Ferndale. That'll come up. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. Um, I mean, so, not yeah. that specific, but yeah, sure. Yeah, so um, and and you know we've seen this kind of thing before, especially with uh, with with Carpenter, who's a guy who's who you know lives in Northern California, likes to use some of these smaller towns up on the coast that can kind of fill in for for more um, pastoral, you mm-hmm. know, almost East Coast places if you wanted to to you know varying degrees of success. Um, also, some stuff shot at the studio Warner Brothers in Burbank. Mm-hmm. Um, casting. How about this cast? I mean, other than Fred Willard, I didn't really know the people, and what? I assumed. Are you, is that surprising to you? It is surprising. It is surprising. It is surprising to me. Yes. Uh, I mean, me. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a a, a name. I mean, a eye for. Random faces, like random faces. I don't know. Tell me Excuse who's in it. Me? James Mason, uh, Humbert uh, Humbert from Lolita. Oh, I have. I mean, I don't like that movie very much. Incredibly famous British actor. Uh, uh, yeah, whose, yeah. Whose voice was impersonated for decades. The villain in North by Northwest. Okay. Yeah, the I love that movie. Is born. Yeah. Come on. I never saw that. Anyways. Listen, it's fine. I don't want to judge you. I'm not saying that you're <laughs> bad, but let's not say random faces when we're talking about David Soul Hutch Who? from Starsky and Hutch. Oh my God, get the fuck out of here! He was one of the hottest TV actors in the country. I was in born 79. in 1982, and All you right. were born in 1983. Yeah, I just have respect for the past. I, um, old TV is. Almost uniformly bad. <laughs> oh, he's in Magnum Force. Yeah, he's one of the bad cops. He's one of yeah, the young guns. Is, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's our lead. Ben Mears is played by David Soul Hutch. Uh, James Mason plays a Straker, the uh, human familiar mm-hmm. for uh, Barlow, who's played by a guy who played a creep in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, our female lead, Bonnie Bedelia. John ahead, McCle- tell me who the fuck Bonnie Bedelia is. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You're such an <laughs> asshole. Man. I thought I had a recency bias. Um, well, perhaps best known as Holly Gennaro, 
uh, slash McLean from the Die Hard movies. Yes, yes. Um, but she's also um, in a bunch of other stuff. Um, more recently, you could have caught her as sort of the mater familias in Parenthood. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, listen. I didn't. I One could have caught her. I did not. <laughs> You're, you're a real son of a bitch. You know that? <laughs> Presumed innocent with Harrison Ford. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyways, she's <laughs> she's beautiful. She's also uh, aunt to all of the Culkin kids. Oh no shit. Her uh, yeah yeah she's Kit Culkin's sister. Um, and then uh, a couple other people. Obviously, you mentioned Fred Willard. Mm-hmm. Um. You've also got George Zunza, who was one of the first uh, cops in the original Law and Order, um, you know, which I was a big fan of. I used to watch with my dad. Sorry mm. that I like things. Uh, <laughs> Constable Gillespie is Ken McMillan, Baron Harkonnen from David Lynch's. Yes, Dune. I did recognize him. Okay, good. Jeffrey Lewis. Yeah, I know the name. You recognize him, right? Yeah, yeah, I know the name from Double. I, I know he's somebody I should know. What? Double impact. He plays. He's like oh, the bodyguard. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, he's got a pretty big part in the Devil's Rejects, um, yeah. but he was in a bunch of stuff. He was a real like TV and genre guy uh, all through the the seventies and eighties. He's in Ten to Midnight. I think we watched that mm-hmm. in the last year. Anyways, he's great. Um, yeah. Am I forgetting anybody big? Because um, there's a lot of big names in this movie. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no small actors, just, just small that... podcast hosts, <laughs> just right. like very specific TV actors, mostly who acted in a time when I wasn't alive. And yeah, James Mason. Sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyways, James uh, Who's this James Mason character <laughs> directed by Toby Hooper. Uh, and shot, uh, lensed, if you will, by a man named Jules Brenner, who one of his last feature films was as the cinematographer for Return of the Living Dead. Ah, uh, look at yeah. that. Yeah. So there you go. Brings everything full circle. Episode one, episode 129. Uh, the, the um, one where, so... where I quit in disgust because my co-host's lack of respect for the art of acting which uh which is your preferred james mason movie here uh aj cronin's hatter's castle or um candlelight in algeria which one do you prefer you know i've been meaning to catch both of those they're uh (laughs) in my netflix physical disc queue Uh, or perhaps his turn as field marshal erwin johannes rommel in the desert fox the story of rommel hey, lots of people have seen the desert fox okay that is a fairly well-known movie is it yes i, it I is. never heard of it it's just old the okay. prisoner of zenda or that's a real movie people know that movie people know that you're movie. you're failing even at making fun of james mason's <laughs> career all right i have nothing else to say uh <laughs> Escape from Zerain. He, he's uncredited, <laughs> uncredited in that one. Well, then it I do want to say L- Lolita's uh, 
is a minor Kubrick work. Okay. Also, not a great book. Interesting. I don't love that book. That's I prefer funny. the the Dominique Swain one from the '90s with Jeremy <laughs> Irons. To be really? quite honest, yeah. really, mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> uh, Charade. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. I never saw it. <laughs> he he plays Captain Nemo in Twenty Thousand Leagues Under yeah, the Sea. Yeah, I know. I saw that. One. That's 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 a, okay. That's a big one. All right, great. Love him. Uh, <laughs> Let's do a Mount Rushmore of James Mason rolls. <laughs> All right, fuck off. Let's go. Let's move this thing. Let's along. take a break. If you thought you could never be frightened by a television movie, watch what happens to the citizens of Salem's Lot. Is something evil killing the people in Salem's Lot, or are they killing each other? Run! No! A terrifying three-hour special movie presentation Tuesday. Watch it with someone you trust. This is CBS. At a church in Guatemala, a man and a boy, Ben Mears and Mark Petrie, 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 are filling small bottles with holy water. When one of them, when one of the bottles begins to emit an eerie supernatural glow, Mears tells Mark that they've found us again. Knowing an evil presence is nearby, they decide to stay and fight it. Two years earlier, Mears, a successful author, returns after a long absence to his hometown of Salem's Lot, Maine. Mears intends to write a book about the Marston House, an old, ominous, an old ominous property on a hilltop which has a reputation for being haunted. Attempting to rent it, Mears finds that it has already been purchased by a new arrival in town, the mysterious Richard Straker who is in the process of opening an antique st- uh, an antique shop with his oft-mentioned but never-present business partner, Kurt Barlow. Instead, Mears moves into a boarding house in a town run by Eva Miller and develops a romantic relationship with a local woman, Susan Norton. He befriends Susan's father, Dr. Bill Norton, and reconnects with his kindly former schoolteacher, Jason Burke. Mears tells Burke that he feels the Marston house is somehow inherently evil Recalling that its original owner, Hubie Marston, implied to have been a child molester, committed suicide there. Mears further recalls traumatic uh, childhood incidents, which he uh, broke into the house. Sorry, can I explain what just happened? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, I just got a, a CNN uh-huh. um, alert okay. that had, uh, uh, what's her face? Um, the woman from Hacks, Jean Smart. Uh-huh. Her name in it. Okay. And it's actually about the Emmys. But for yeah. a second, I thought Jean Smart died and I got rattled. <laughs> <laughs> she just won an Emmy for hacks. I believe that's what it is. I, okay. I yeah. Sorry. Uh, it popped up on my screen. <laughs> All right. Wipe, wipe off your brow and continue. <laughs> Mears further recalls a traumatic childhood incident in which he broke into the house on a dare and saw Hubie's ghost. After a large crate is delivered to the Marston house one night, townspeople begin to disappear or die under strange circumstances. Mears and Straker are the main suspects, as they are both new in town, but it eventually comes clear that the crate contains Straker's business partner, Kurt Barlow, an ancient vampire who has come to Salem's lot after sending Straker to make, his way, to make way for his arrival. Straker kidnaps a young boy, 
Ralphie Glick in an offering to Barlow, while Barlow kills local realtor Larry Crockett. The Glick boy then returns as a vampire to claim his brother Danny. After his funeral, the undead Danny infects a gravedigger, Mike Ryerson, and attempts to prey on one of his school friends, Mark Petrie. However, Mark is a horror film buff and manages to repel Danny with a cross. As the vampirism spreads, Mears, Burke, and Dr. Norton gradually realize what is happening to the town and attempt to stop it. Mears is attacked by Ralph and Danny's presumed dead mother, Marjorie Glick, after she revives on a mortician's table. But Mears defends himself using a makeshift cross. Mark's parents are both killed by Barlow, though Mark escapes with the assistance of a local priest. Wow. Doesn't even get named in this description. Yeah. Well, Ca- yeah. Father Callahan, right? Father Callahan, yeah. I mean, his, his, his role is greatly reduced in this miniseries versus in the book. In the book, yeah. Um, Burke, however, suffers a severe heart attack following an encounter with a newly vampirized Ryerson. Seeking revenge for his parents' deaths, Mark breaks into the Marston house, and a concerned Susan follows him inside. Both are soon captured by Straker. Later, Mears and Dr. Norton enter the house too, where Straker kills Norton by impaling him on a pair of antlers, before he himself is fatally shot by Mears. Afterwards, Mears and the freed Mark find Barlow's coffin in the cellar and destroy him by driving a stake through his heart. Fleeing the other vampires in the house, the infected townsfolk, the two set fire to the Marston's house property as they leave, though Susan is nowhere to be found. While the house burns, the wind carries the fire towards the town itself. As he and Mark drive away from Salem's lot, Mears comments that the fire will drive all the vampires from their hiding places and purify the town from the evil that has engulfed it. The story returns to Mears and Mark at the church in Guatemala two years later. It becomes clear that they are on the run from the surviving Salem's Lot vampires, and their bottles of holy water glow whenever a vampire is nearby. Realizing that they have been tracked down yet again, Mears and Mark return to their lodgings to collect their belongings. Once there, Mears finds Susan laying in his bed. Now a vampire, she prepares to bite him as he leans down to kiss her. But instead, Mears drives a stake through her heart and destroys her. A grief-stricken Mears then leaves with Mark, knowing that the vampires will continue to pursue them. There you Uh, have it. As we sometimes do, I'd like to just flag one or two things that that don't really get mentioned here that get a lot of play on on screen. Um, Yeah. There's a lot of stuff early on. With the uh, the pickup and the delivery of yeah. of uh, Barlow's coffin yeah and there also is. the uh, the sort of side plot of Cully Sawyer and his wife Boom Boom Bonnie Sawyer yeah uh, Bonnie is, Sawyer she's a babe she is uh, yeah definitely who who is having a little fling with Fred Willard's uh, realtor mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> least... we get a shirtless Willard. Yeah, we do. In this movie. He's got about as much chest hair as I expected, which is more than <laughs> more than a little. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, you, Eric, had never seen this before, correct? That's correct. No, this is my first time. 
Okay, well, I know you just did a lot of talking, uh, and, uh, you know, perhaps something uh, was telegraphed in the first segment of the show. Who knows? But I would love to hear uh, what your thoughts were on Salem's Lot. Okay. Um, So, it has been alluded to the fact that this is not a movie. This is very much a television show, a television Mm. movie. As such, I actually broke it up into two different viewing sessions about an hour and a half each time, which I assume is what the running time was. Yeah, that feels very smart. Um, I think I had, although this was not an unpleasant viewing experience, Mm -hmm. I really had a hard time engaging with the movie. Mm Mm-hmm especially in the first half okay the first the first session which really does spend a ton of time it feels like with like fred willard's character bonnie sawyer Mm -hmm. the drunken husband the delivery of barlow yeah um and it's just not very exciting or interesting particularly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then also because it's a tv movie there's a limited amount of sets. You know what I mean? It's like they spend a lot. I feel like they spend a lot of time in one place Mm -hmm. and then they shoot that scene out. And it's just a slower pace of, of thing. Anyway, in the second half, I enjoyed it more. Um, and I felt like Hooper shone through more than in the first half. Okay. Uh, so all in all, I did not hate it, but I had a hard time getting invested if that makes sense sure uh what about yourself um i think uh largely valid criticisms um i think that i acknowledge all of the same things and 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 it feels like if if the potency of those issues was a hundred percent for you it was maybe 75 percent for me sure I, for whatever reason, uh, had a little bit more patience for this, but it is something that requires patience. It's not, you know, uh-huh. uh, so yeah, if you, I think if you're looking to be excited or titillated, yeah. um, it, it's probably going to feel slow to you. Um, yeah. and this is, this is really like a, you know, I think, I, I, I think that things look very different nowadays but but in back in the in the 70s and the 80s and even in the 90s really until i mean people most people would argue like really like maybe twin peaks but kind of like when the sopranos came along like tv was just behind movies in yes, terms yes. of like developing uh either in the production value or but more like just kind of like you know things started to speed up more there's a huge difference between 90s movies and 60s movies, right? But, mm-hmm. but you know, like in the 90s, TV was still slower than than movies were. And, and I think that was very true at this point. So in the 70s, like cinema is starting to t- kind of turn over into this new golden age. Whereas I think TV was still like a little slower getting there. So I think the result is it's not necessarily even a lower quality product. It's just like this is a different animal. It is a yeah. slower paced thing. That, I think that, that That's what I was into. alluding to. Yeah. Is that 
I, at no point was I like, this is bad. Mm-hmm. But at several points, I was like, hey, pay attention, fucko. <laughs> <You know? laughs> sure. Hey, it happened to me, too. Now, I mean, I have the benefit of having seen it already. Yeah, yeah. So when did you see it? I've seen originally. it. This is probably the third time I've seen it. Okay. And the first time I saw it, uh, I would have been pretty young, in my teens or 20s. Okay. And I would have watched it on two VHS tapes. So it would have been divided into its two parts, naturally. Mm-hmm. Um. And then I think I watched it again after I read the book, so that would have been about uh, let's say three years ago, maybe. Um, do you do you think there's any benefit to nostalgia on this, like any uh, any not, boost? Not, not for me, at least. I think I think there's a generalized nostalgia of just like older things, you know, uh-huh. appealing to me in certain ways, but. But no, my my recollection of watching it when I was younger um, is not that clear. And also, I think I watched it late enough that it wasn't like something that I got into when I was a kid. Like I was definitely an adult, like a young adult maybe, but I was, you know, like 21 or older the first time I saw this. Right, right, right. Um, So I'll say, so this is what I'll say is, is I think the pacing, yeah, uh, is going to be tricky for some more modern audiences uh my (laughs) my sort of um what's uh, what's the word uh shock or 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 whatever in the in the early part with the discussion of the actors that's that's somewhat legitimate because i do really like the cast of this Mm -hmm. um there are a lot of character actors in this that that i enjoy and i enjoy seeing um and you know, I'm not like a huge Starsky and Hutch guy, right? David Soul is honestly kind of like the cheesiest member of this cast, but I think he does a fine job. Um, but there's, yeah, like a lot of supporting characters and actors that I actually really like in this. Um, so I would say I would give higher marks for that than I would. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, I haven't really given my overall thoughts, which is I think the pacing of this is the biggest problem. It just like Mm -hmm. this existed at one point as like a condensed, like film adaptation, like, like they cut it down to like two hours. And I, I would like to see that. I've never seen that. And I feel like that could be like, you'd have to be pretty judicious about it, but I, I, I was finishing it up today and I found myself thinking it's like, you know, if you just gave this all to an editor in 2022, I bet they could make this into something um, that I think people would enjoy more these days. Yeah. I mean, I think part, it doesn't look like a movie. It doesn't, it doesn't look bad, mm-hmm. but I wish it looked better. And okay. it's like comp- shot compositions. And, and I think in the second half, it kind of gets there. Uh, like I yeah. love the inside of the, the house, the Barlow house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then we get to, we get some more camera movement. Sure. But I, I, I don't know. There, I wish it was, I wish it had more style. I guess that's okay. what I'm saying. I wish it had more style. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's, a, it has a lot to do with context. Like, cause I, sure. I've always mm-hmm. felt like this looks good for, for late seventies TV is basically how I thought of it. Like, okay. It doesn't. You're right. It, it isn't a movie, and it is shot a little bit differently. It's certainly lit a little differently. Um, but I think versus what else was around at the time, I think it, it looked pretty solid. 
Yeah. No, I, and that's not necessarily a knock. Like, mm. it's, it is what it is, and it can be what it is. You know, like, yeah. I, I can't expect 2001 from a, a CBS miniseries from 1979. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I understand there's, there's a difference. Yeah. And, and I can't fault a three hour Salem's Lot miniseries for not being a two hour long, you know, right. Movie directed by an auteur. You not to say that Toby Hooper's not. Um, And and actually, in fact, some of the stuff I really liked is in the second half, you Mm -hmm. do start getting Toby Hooper bleeding through the material and actually Mm -hmm. feeling like he's taking uh, a stylistic swing at things. Like I think, there's a scene where um, uh, who's it? Mark Mark's parents are killed, mm-hmm. and like the house shakes. Yeah, and you get like echoes. Of, you get like little hints of like poltergeist in there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some nice, like the the per, the guy getting rammed into the antlers is pretty cool. Yeah, like th- there's some cool stuff. Actually, even though it's not faithful to the book, I like the, the like the blue vampire look. Mm-hmm. Like that Nosferatu vampire. I love the vamp. I love Barlow in this. It's cool. It's yeah. really cool looking. I think he looks great. Yeah. 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 I mean, to talk about some positives, I think, um, I think that like the moments that I like in this are really effective. Like, I think that um, all of the basically uh, Barlow is is great. Like makeup wise, looks great. Very cool. They go to the well too many times, but I do very much uh, like the Ralphie Danny stuff. I think yes. it's I think it's cool. I think it's spooky. Um, super influential. Like this. Oh is, yeah, for sure. This is like the first time I think ever anybody had like the the kind of vampire hovering outside the second story window thing, and it shows up in so many things. Uh, after I mean, this. I, I primarily know it from The Simpsons. Yeah. When I think it's the episode where Bart takes Millhouse's soul. Yep. Is that what it is? Well, it's a, it's a, um, well, it's not he, that. I'm, it's a, it's a treehouse of horror. Oh, it's a treehouse of horrors. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Um, no, because yeah, because Bart sells his soul to Millhouse. Yes. Yeah. Um, that that was like the one that I, you know, before even knowing what Salem's mm-hmm. Lot was, yeah. I saw that and it was explained to me that that's what it was from. This a huge influence on the Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, that is one thing that that there is there is the hovering and the flying outside the windows also the impaling on a uh, deer antlers mm-hmm. uh big lift and 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 yeah uh the buffy the vampire slayer the movie this was mm-hmm, a big mm-hmm. inspiration for um so yeah it's it, it it's it definitely had an impact on people i also think um i found the i found the very ending like the kind of epilogue to be pretty uh affecting it's cool. Um, um, you read the book more recently than mm, I. Yeah. Is the Guatemala stuff in there? I don't remember that. Yeah, it is. It is, but okay. it's not. Um, but it's not the same. It's it's not with uh, with Susan. Um, okay. Like but it's it, them on the run. Yeah, they're on the run, but then they go back. I think it, it's the book. So it's still like prologue, epilogue, but the book starts with them there. I think. Or do they just go there at the end? Or am yeah, I, I don't remember. Maybe I maybe I'm just like combining the two in my head. It's possible that it's not in there because I do know that in the book 
they go back to Salem's Lot at the end. Like, okay. Um, yeah. I think it's in the book. Yeah, I, it is in the book. I feel confident about that. Um, but the Susan stuff doesn't happen. I think it's just like kind of a runner where where it's like they've been on the run and then it's like it's time to go back. We have to go back and like kill the rest of them, essentially. Because um, mm-hmm. I know Susan just dies a lot. I think like, you know, when they go to the house, um, mm-hmm. which is sort of what you'd expect, you know. Um. Um, what else? What what worked for you, if if anything? Uh, no, I mean, I like I said, uh, it's tough when I I feel like this is a movie that a, pe- a lot of people have a lot of nostalgia for. Um, I and I don't mean to disparage a thing that they. I know people love this, and I mm. know specifically, like I'm expect I'm expecting some of our listeners. To really love this. Okay. And so it makes me feel a little bad to be like, eh, it didn't really do too much for me. Yeah. Um, but, I, oh, I love the glowing eyes. Yeah. Those are cool. Those are very cool. Um, I didn't take a lot of notes on this one. That's okay. Quite honest. I, the, uh, I just wasn't, how do I, how do I? I wasn't too into like the townsfolk stuff. I don't know. Yeah. So I'll say that it's an interest. I think the I think this gets itself into sort of an interesting pickle, which is in one way, I think it's, it's, it's great that it sort of indulges the whole town and that cast of people in the way that the book does. And in the way that a book does versus most movies, right? Like that's a very King thing of having, like a whole town full of people interacting with each other and sort of large Mm -hmm. casts of characters. Now the flip side of that is I don't know how effective most of this stuff is. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely like the Glick family stuff works for me. Um, But then, you know, and I kind of enjoyed like the early stuff with, with Cully and, and uh, and what's I forget Fred Willard's character, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That was that, that was like some of the best stuff from the first yeah half of the yeah. Of it. It's hit and miss, I think, and it and it does end up feeling slow. Where it could be, I think there could be more tension building, and just like a little bit, it could be a little bit more interesting when you're with all these people. And then a criticism that I do have versus the book, and I think this is budget. This is just scale, mm-hmm. but but this is really missing the the third act uh the 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 element of that in the book where the whole town is really changing and becoming kind of overcome by this yeah and that's like the coolest part it is yeah yeah so i do miss that in here for sure um so overall you know i think you know again you know for even for me who i do do think i that i probably was more engaged than you were i i do see a lot of like i really do think that there's a lot of fat in this that could come out yeah um and and the pace is just sort of slow and it's like when i think about the exciting or scary parts of this they i i think of them very fondly but then the the process of actually watching it there were large portions of it when i was like okay whatever you know yeah, you know, it that made me think too. There's just, you know, it has to be its length because that is the length the amount of time mm-hmm. that has to be taken up on a network. Yeah. I'm assuming it was 2 hours. It's 
but then now with commercials, it's an hour and a half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two um, nights. Yep. For two nights. Mm-hmm. And so that is just like, it has to be that long. Right. So that in it raises some issues in itself compared to a theatrical movie, which you could right. cut out the slow stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like, it's not really a criticism against it because it is what it is. It can't be, you know, you, you, what's the metaphor I'm trying to find here? You can't make a fucking square peg in a round hole. I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I was, I was going to say like, you can't make a brownie Sunday out of a square. fruit salad or something. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't know. He could, <laughs> I guess he, no, you can't. Brownies and ice cream and fruit salad. Well, I mean, no, you just you take a fruit salad and make it into a brownie sundae. It's impossible, Mike. <laughs> Unless you're some sort of magician. Uh, fair enough. Um, right. I, one thing I want to talk about before we we move on to the end of this, just because as I was watching this, uh, there there's another there's another series that is so inseparable from the DNA of this mini series that, that I think is worth talking about for a second. Um, and that is uh, fairly recent, the uh, midnight mass, the Mike Flanagan. Oh yeah. Yeah. Series. Yeah. Did you watch all of that? No, I haven't seen it, but okay. I know, I know what it is. So, yeah. So I watched it and I, I will say that it's fun. I mean, this is how Netflix is. It's like shit just comes and goes. Like you watch all of it, and then like two weeks later, you forget about it. Yeah. Um. But in the go, process, go watch of, Cheer. Yeah. In the process of wa- <laughs> uh, of watching this now, it got me thinking about Midnight Mass a lot, and and looking back on it, I think I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um. There are uh, people have complained. I think rightfully so that the dialogue's a little bloated. There's like a ton of monologues and stuff. Um, and it gets a little indulgent, but I think that if you like the overall tone that this would like to strike, and if you like the book, mm-hmm. um, you should really check out Midnight Mass. I think, I mean, Flanagan is an unabashed King fan. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a through line in, in, in so much of the stuff that he's done and, and this is sort of like the apex of that for him. Like this, I I I I was just checking out the Wikipedia and I was looking at some of the reviews. And I think, you know, the uh, the guy who who writes reviews for RogerEbert.com now, which is kind of crazy that that's the website, but whatever. Yeah. Um, was basically like this. It's like he called this like it was like the best Stephen King adaptation that Stephen King didn't write. Oh, um, cool. And it, it's it's very, very, very informed by Salem's Lot and also just by, like, his general sort of, like, main, uh, like, you know, kind of uh, townsfolk, uh, towny kind of shit. And then it's mm-hmm. a lot of it's a lot of stuff with baked into the Catholic Church, too. But um, I think it's 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 pretty exciting. It, it probably moves at a clip more along the lines of what you what you would prefer and and i'll be honest what i would prefer too I'm yeah not, the way you say that is yeah. if i'm like some fucking <laughs> hey, like, like i'll go I'll, i will gladly watch you a and three your hour tic, long your like TikToks and your uh <laughs> you know your handheld I'll, gaming devices uh, i watch foreign movies that you wouldn't even fucking know <laughs> yeah 
you just do that to show off though. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and, 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 and also, uh, I was hoping, I was hoping you'd seen it so that we could talk about it a little bit more, but I don't really want to spoil it for you at all. Um, but, uh, Hamish Linklater, uh, plays sort of one of the major, one of the leads and he's, I just think incredible. I think it's one of the best performances I've seen in a TV show in, in, in quite a while. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I'll definitely check it out. I meant to. Yeah. And then as you said, with, TV shows, and yeah, especially stuff that's yeah on Netflix. It kind of comes and goes. Yeah, and I don't want to. And it is something that is. It's a little bit spoilable, and I think just, just even talking about it in this context spoils something that the show would rather kind of keep a secret for. No, a, but I at know least a few episodes. Yeah, yeah, I it's think a, I know. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I think it, people who haven't seen it, if whether you liked this. Or you watched this and you wished it was more like the book, or if you just thought it was boring, but you like the idea, check out Midnight Mass. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, okay, should we move on to um, wrapping up this segment? Let's do it. Let's talk dead bodies, kills. Um, <clears throat> Larry... Fred Willard's character gets killed by a vampire off screen uh, after getting threatened by Cully. Um, Danny Glick gets killed in the hospital, I believe. Um, Mike. I just wrote Mike. <laughs> Mike gets killed. Uh, Ned gets killed in his jail cell. Danny's mom gets killed. Marjorie. Um, Mark's parents get their heads knocked together like a couple of coconuts and that kills them. <laughs> Jason Burkett stabbed through the antler with the antlers. Um, and then Susan, I guess you can count uh what's his face? Straker and Barlow. And mm. finally Susan. Um I'll go first. Okay. I think that antler kill is my favorite one. It's pretty it's fun. Pretty cool. Especially for network TV. It's in pretty graphic, yeah. Yeah. You get to see him impaled. It was not- very surprising when it yeah. happened. I was not expecting that level of violence nor was i i bet Um, that was a fight to get in must have been yeah um okay i'll go with uh the barlow staking i think it's got some i mean you get a lot of the his obviously his his good effects they they certainly like a lot of things in this movie it's twice as long as it needs to be david soul must hammer that (laughs) stake in about 15 times but but the you know the effect of, of sort of having him disintegrate is pretty fun and um, the melting and, is cool. Yeah, yeah. So so I'll take that one. All right. Um, what do we do now? So we is got this the, movie scary? Is, so this is the uh, the zombie zombie thumbs zombie right? thumbs is, up and or thumbs was it down. Ghosts was it ghosts or zombies? Zombie for gore, ghosts for scares. No, it was, yeah, but it was wasn't it dismembered thumbs for the gore? Yes. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah, dismembered thumbs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, is this movie scary? I'm giving this movie in terms of scariness a thumbs down, a ghost thumb, a okay. ghost specifically of film critic Roger Ebert. Okay. Um, I think uh, in the interest of of making our over overall score representative of what I think it should be, uh, I will give this a ghost thumb up. It is slow, but it but it 
it is trying to be scary. And I think that there are certainly a handful of moments that succeed. Um, and realistically, if this was not a binary, if there was a third middle option, that's the one I would pick. So I guess if you took my thumb up and Eric's thumb down and put them together, it's kind of what you get. So, yeah. So that's going to be my vote. All right. Well, then for Gore, I mean, I feel like there's no question here. I'm giving this a dismembered thumbs down. Yeah, I, I have to do the same. Although, like we said, the antler thing is more than you think you're going to get. Yeah. Um, but it's not enough to flip this thumb up. This is a TV no. miniseries. So, no, it is not gory. And maybe that's, you know, gore isn't a a, mm-hmm. a, uh, a criterion of quality. It's like yeah. some stuff is very scary and very good. It's not gory at all. So Absolutely. This one just happens to not be very gory. Mm-hmm. All right. Before we get to... No, let's do... Are we going to do the wed bed behead? We are, yeah, but we should definitely do your thing first. Okay. And I, and I also wanted to say, just before I forget, this is two weeks in a row I had a very similar thought. This is apropos of almost nothing, just we're about to be done with the movie. Last week I was talking about Nancy Allen and how mm-hmm. how hot she is. Are you, are, you, are you pitching a babe of the episode? No, I don't think – I mean, we should do that, but we shouldn't do that. I, I, I'm a man <laughs> of two minds on it, but – but my impromptu babe of the episode thing is is I was sort of remarking on how I was introduced to Nancy Allen in RoboCop mm. where she has a sort of 80s perm and is not, not doesn't look to me is not like that attractive. Yeah. Bonnie Bedelia in Die Hard, same fucking hair. She's got like an 80s mm-hmm, curly mm-hmm. perm. Never did it for me. I throw this same. on I'm like, oh, my God, she's gorgeous. Yeah, she's, yeah, yeah. She's so beautiful. It's crazy. Um, and I was that like, that's, jo- that's Holly Gennaro. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, well, maybe, maybe we can nominate that as a moment that didn't age well, which we yeah. only pull out once in a while. That's true, but it's not, but that's in another this. movie. It's from, yeah, <laughs> moments it's from... that didn't age well in Die Hard <laughs> and Robocop <laughs> and yeah. Robocop. Yeah. That, those, Our... those, those eighties haircuts made a lot of pretty, pretty people look kind of ugly. Okay, I have a brand new feature that I'm going to do for this series. Uh, As some of you may know, I myself am from the great state of Maine. Mm. Oh, vacation land. (laughs) Um, Stephen King, also from Maine. Yeah. Um, Some of these movies, not next week's, but this one. And actually, it's never really said in in Carrie mm-hmm. in the movie if it takes place in Maine, but I'm going to assume that it is. So what I want to do is rate how good these movies are at representing and depicting Maine. Because mm-hmm. you are a Maine man. I am a Maine man. Let's play the theme song. Lobster rolls, whoopie pies, it's enough to make a grown man cry. Honor the state from where I came. It's Maine. Yeah, there you have it. Okay. Salem's Lot. Great. Filmed in Northern California, mostly. And you can tell. And I am especially sensitive to Salem's Lot because of, I think, of all of the King fictional towns. We're talking Derry, Salem's Lot, Mm -hmm. and Castle Rock. Salem's Lot 
Jerusalem's lot is mm. the one that is closest to where I grew up. Ah. It is supposed to be like way 10 north, miles. Right? What's that? Isn't it way north? No. No, it's not. It's south. It's south. Oh, okay. Interesting. It's, it's supposed to be a little bit north of Portland. Uh, so maybe in the gray, gray main area. Um, so this is, is that. Yeah. That's what. Hey. What's gray main? Gray. No, no, no. It's a town called Gray. Oh, okay. No, it's not like in the in the gray land. I was like, yeah, Maine. I mean, it all seems kind of gray, but. <laughs> um, so I am going to give Salem's Lot, and I'll explain why, a wicked bad. <laughs> because the forests don't look anything like the forests of Maine. Okay. These are northwestern ass fucking forests. Sure. sure. There's some grass on the ground that doesn't look mm. anything like Maine grass. It's yeah. not wet enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you think of the house? Um, the house is fine. Okay. Yeah, the house. The you house know is why? Because they built that shit. Oh, okay. That they makes bu- sense. They built it over an existing house. Really? <laughs> yeah, which is wow. kind of crazy. That is crazy. I always, I love that. I like. I just rewatched Nope, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, they had to have just built this house. Like this yeah. is just a house they built, which is right. crazy to mm-hmm. build an entire house and then just fucking tear it down. Sure. Um, so I also want to retroactively do Carrie, mm-hmm. which is supposed to take place at least in the book in Chamberlain, Maine in Chamberlain, Maine. Don't know where that is. It's not real. None of these. Towns it's not are real. real. Uh, Carrie. Not great. Mm. In terms, it's it, it looks like all America. It looks like you had mentioned, um, uh, what's it called? The George Lucas movie, uh, the first George Lucas movie, not THX. Oh, American the, Graffiti. American Graffiti. It looks like the town from American Graffiti. Yeah. The girls that are in that fucking class look nothing like the girls in Maine I grew up <laughs> with. Maybe Edie McClurg, but, <laughs> but there's no Nancy Allens. Um, this that is not a great main representation. Mm. So okay. I'm looking forward. I don't know what what's going to be the one that really nails it. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Knows? Those may come later in the King uh, movie. You know, oeuvre. Yeah, we may never get a good one, but I'm excited to find out. Yeah, I'm excited to find out too. Okay. All right, let's talk about. <laughs> Wed better be head. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Let's talk like about it? it. Do you like doing it? I like doing it. We're okay. trying to come up with another, another, uh, you know, three words we can use just because okay. we like to change things every once in a while because right. it makes us confused when we're doing the yeah. podcast yeah. about what we had decided on previously. Wedding and betting are just so similar. You know, marry mm. and fuck are very different ideas. <sighs> yeah, you're telling me, brother. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think I think my answer is going to be perhaps a little there's a little less uh, anticipation. So I can go first here. Um, I think that this movie is sporadic. I'm sorry. This TV miniseries is sporadically successful. Um, there are moments that I like a lot. There's also a lot of padding. Um, and I think for what it is, which is a TV miniseries from 1979, it's decent. I bet if we sat down and we watched a, a, like all the TV movies from 1979, this would probably rank pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that being said, you know, it, it's shortcomings are its shortcomings and, and you don't get a pass for all that just because you're old. So um, I think this is, for me, squarely a bed. I don't hate it. I, I do enjoy watching it, but um, it's not one that I'm, you know, kind of shouting out from the rooftops that people should go see. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, middle ground for me. You know, Mike, you brought up a great point. I do think if you were to check out other miniseries from 1979, I was going to look up television mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, vision miniseries. 1979. 79. He's gonna write, I bet he's gonna type 79. No, we have uh, Tales of the Unexpected. That's oh no, cool. no, this is this is a miniseries shows. No, this isn't. Knott's Landing is not a miniseries. I'm sorry. I like I like fantasizing about a world in which you googled this while I was talking. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway. I think you're right. Uh, I like the um, I like the attempt to to put yeah. some some references in. Um, <laughs> I'm really batting a thousand on this one today. <clears throat> do you want to do you want to read the synopsis again? <laughs> I kind of do. I'm getting speech jammed. I had a uh, suspicion there might be a, a tinge of speech jamming. Yeah, yeah, it's. So I had to take, I don't know if you noticed, I took my ear, one of my earphones out because mm. it's helping me. Um, but oddly, it's not, help, it's not hurting me when I'm just like speaking off the cuff. It's, it's more of like the, re, I don't know, whatever. You freak. I'm a freak, a real stone cold freak. Um, I also didn't dislike watching this. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I found it in, you know, enjoyable enough. Mm-hmm. I wasn't super into it. Yeah. I wasn't super like, whoa, what's going to fucking happen next? I was just like, yeah, this is fine. This is fun. This is enjoyable. It's fun to look at people from the 70s, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and I thought, you know, the second half especially really popped for me. Um, I'm also going to give this one a uh, a bed. Okay. A bed. It's not bad enough to be had. It really okay. just isn't. Okay. There's no two ways about it. Cool. So, um, God damn it. I'm trying to remember the other guy's name. Hold on. Is it Billy? No. <laughs> Not Wait. James Mason. The... No, no. Uh, hold on. Because it's Laura Flynn, but it's Josh Charles. I knew it was. Well, so I was going to say, like like Josh Charles and Stephen Baldwin, we are in a threesome. <laughs> that was going to be. But I couldn't remember Josh Charles. Um <laughs> Right. You we'll, we'll and me it. and Salem's Lot in bed. That's the threesome. That's oh, what I'm talking okay. about. Oh, the de- a true devil's threesome. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> right, we'll be right back.
Okay, we're back. Mike. Yeah. Not only did we unveil a new feature for this series, mm-hmm. we're about to unveil a new canonical uh, ongoing Hell yeah. feature for the entire podcast. This is a big deal. This is one of the bigger things we'll, we will have rolled out in recent memory, I think. I think so, too. Yeah. Um, you pitched it to me today. You said it was complicated. It's not. Oh, God. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Keep going. <laughs> Weed it's cocktail fine. down. I spilled a little ice on my uh, mouse pad. That's all. Oh, okay, good. You can keep talking. It's fine. It's, um, no, I, it's actually, fine. I was going to throw it to you. Okay. Um, no, keep it. But uh, we've realized mm-hmm. that uh, throughout the course of this podcast, we've reviewed some really good movies. Yeah. We've been lucky. Not all. Well, I don't know that we've been lucky. Nah, yeah, you're right. It's mostly been bad. Yeah. You remember <laughs> it's lepre- or mediocre. You remember the Leprechaun franchise? Oh, boy. I do. <laughs> remember Ginger Dead Man? Yeah. At least that yeah. one was short. <laughs> it was short. We bailed early. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Um, I suspect mm-hmm. sometime in the near future... We're going to be adding to this upcoming list. But Mike, why don't you uh, tell the listeners what it is we're doing today? Sure. Well, I was, yeah, I was looking down the road, not too far down the road, and thinking, oh, you know, we got we got a movie or two coming up. There's some real some real heavy hitters. And I started thinking, what are what are the best movies we've we've covered? Because we do we do a little Mount Rushmore now and then we you know I think more in the past we used to do top fives with some frequency, but that you know I think I thought it would be cool to have a living entity that mm-hmm. that sort of reflected the best of Killstreak the best and that's not us uh, the, you know every episode is of the same uh, mediocre quality but but <laughs> movies that we uh, cover. What are those, the best ones? And, and, and a vision, it came to me in the shower. It, this was a shower idea. This is oh, not, good. That's not, not hyperbole. Um, I, that's not hyperbole. It's just like, I didn't make that. Not, not an exaggeration. Yeah. Not a, yeah. uh, well, there's not the, a lie. Yeah. yeah not, it's not a, not lie. a fabrication. It isn't, it is not. <clears throat> um, so what I would like to do now is uh, to introduce the uh the the kill streak murderers row um were you able to hear that <laughs> the jail cell yeah it was a, it was a little prison cell closing uh, <laughs> figured it was easier than asking you to put it into the episode yeah no i, I appreciate that <laughs> um so here's here's the conception the murderers row is a list of 10 unranked films mm-hmm. that represent the best movies we've covered on the show. Um, and when I say this is like a living entity, this is a fluid list. Every, every time we, we, we watch a new movie for the show, uh, anyone could, could nominate it for entrance mm-hmm. onto murderers row. But part of, I think what could make this sort of interesting and fun is as the show goes on is the size of the murderer's row will never expand or contract. Right. It's, it's always going to be 10 movies. So if a new movie comes in and earns its spot, that means that it's pushing another movie out. 
and 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 it's gonna go take that long walk to the uh, to the chair and and it's gonna get it, get, it, get murdered, electrocuted by the state, uh-huh. right? Um, the governor's not gonna call. No, well, to, to... Shh, quiet, quiet. You're blowing. You're blowing a later part of this. Oh really? Oh sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we were talking about how we wanted to do this. So Eric and I have both prepared our own personal lists of 10 uh what the what would be our murderers row if we were left to our own devices but um in keeping with the strained death row uh (laughs) metaphor um we're gonna treat this like a jury selection i guess which is like part of the process that leads to someone being on death row some would say one of the first steps yeah absolutely (laughs) besides the murdering um (laughs) the uh, film is the murder yeah, the film, no, the is, film the mur- is the murder. That's, that's right. The film is the murder. Okay. Yeah. Great. This is all making sense. So, mm-hmm. so we're gonna go back and forth, and we are gonna nominate uh, movies for the murderers row, and mm-hmm. uh, each of us will receive three vetoes. Right. So, if if Eric's first movie is Ginger Dead Man, Saturday Night Cleaver. Um, you know, I can use one of my three no votes to just say, yeah, we're not doing it. That's it, not do we have three this time or three throughout the life of this? Just for this time. We'll figure okay. out how it goes. I think from, from here on out, it may just be consensus, like a two thumbs up thing. If we both agree. Okay. What the fuck? <laughs> um, my headphones just started what, what playing. Happened? Uh, my computer's playing. Let's get it on really loud. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> this is Gene Smart winning an Emmy all over again. Yeah, no, it's real. It started. It's my Spotify. I don't know why. Um, okay, so I'm closing <laughs> Spotify. Um, so yeah. So anyways, we'll we'll deal with future movies later. But okay. anyways, I'm getting sidetracked. So so the way this will go is we'll we'll go back and forth nominating movies for the Murderous Row. If the other person agrees, they say yes, and it's on the row, right? If they disagree, they can veto it. Now each of us. In addition to our three vetoes, also gets to make one call to the governor for a stay of execution, which is essentially uh, a super veto. Um, Mm. So if I veto Saturday Night Cleaver and you say, hey, on my entire list of movies, this is the one I got to make sure makes it onto the row. Mm-hmm. Then you can call the governor and you can override my veto and it immediately okay. goes onto the row. Right. Okay. Uh, and we are going to do this until we have put 10 movies on. And then uh, at any point in the future, when we are uh, giving out our wed bed or behead ratings, if, uh, if a movie may merit it, either one of us can, uh, can nominate a movie for entrance onto the murders row. And if we agree that it deserves to be there, we'll put it on and we will summarily Send another movie to its death. Mm. Does that sound all right to you? That sounds great to me. Okay. Um, I've been, I, I think I've said, I've said enough. Is there anything you want to add? Uh, did I forget any of the details? Not that I can think of. Okay, great. Well then, Eric, would you be willing to start things off for us? I will do that. Okay, great. I nominate for Murderer's Row, mm-hmm. Ginger Dead Man, Saturday Night Cleaver. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just kidding. You scamp. <laughs> I'm going to nominate 
Friday the 13th Part 2 to mm. enter Murderer's Row. Interesting. I think it's that in four. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's the best one. Yeah. It's one of the biggest series of all time. It's a great movie. Uh-huh. Huh. Right off the bat, very I have very complex feelings about this. Because I'll tell you, it's a it's a title I looked at. It's something I thought about. And I kind of said to myself, it's definitely my favorite of the Friday the thirteenth movies. Not gonna debate mm-hmm. that. But does that alone earn entrance into this? So I gotta ask you something, and this is this is there's no right answer to this. We can decide how we want to do this. How are you determine how are you defining best? What does that mean to you when you put this list together? To me, it is is this a great movie? Mm-hmm. First and foremost. Also, is this a great horror movie? Okay. I think those two things factor in. It's not just like this is Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. It has to be on it. It's also like, how enjoyable is this? And we're doing a horror movie podcast. If you were to talk best horror movies of all time, mm-hmm. would this be on here? I think for me, yeah, that would definitely be. Maybe, you know. Let's talk about it. Maybe it's not in the top 10, but well, uh, no, you know, okay. So here's what I'll say. I have my 10. It's not on my 10, mm -hmm. but I look at my 10 and I say, okay, with what you just said, is there anything on my list right now that, that I think that I, I wouldn't be that upset if Friday the 13th took the spot out. Um, and I think in the spirit of what the podcast is about, and sort of like what the platonic idea of a horror movie franchise is and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. I I'm I'm willing to go there with you. So I'm not going to use one of my vetoes on this. Okay. Um I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was a bad strategic mm-hmm. decision for me to put that one forth first because I think I have more easier layups. Yeah. Well, that's why I was there. so shocked because I was yeah, like, that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you'd lead with a slam dunk where I'm just like, well, of course that's on my list. So, yeah, it's going. In. Yeah. So we yeah. can table Friday 13th until the last slot. Um, I mean, okay, we can do that. Let's let's put it on hold. Let's uh, put it on hold. Why don't you bring in another? Alien. You, alien. Great. Of course, it's on my list gotta be all right it's in it's on the murderer's row we have the first member of the murderer's row and it is ridley scott's alien mm-hmm. okay um so yeah i think we can move through the first half of these kind of fast so i'll i'll, I'll try to keep up with what i think are some ones that are just going to be slam dunks for you so it's toby hooper week for me texas chainsaw massacre has got to be on there yep it's on my list okay great it's gotta be we got two um, a, a beloved movie that I know we both love, mm-hmm. Evil Dead 2. Totally. Okay. Great. Moving along at a swift pace. We have three on the row. Um, let's see. Another one that feels like a foregone conclusion to me. I think uh, it may not be quite as universally beloved as the last three, but I think for Eric and I, 
There's a reason why it was the first movie we ever covered. Return of the Living Dead is on my murderer's row. It's also on mine, too. Yep. Great. Mm -hmm. Moving on. Another uh, in the similar vein. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it... I mean, I actually do think a lot of people would put this on some of the best horror movies of all time. Uh, Reanimator. Yeah. And it's a favorite of ours. Definitely. And, and a in movie case, we both love. In case anybody was wondering, there was a brief discussion with Eric and I, and we decided mm-hmm. we would omit movies that we did commentaries for but did not cover canonically or yeah. rate and rank the way we do the rest of these. So if you're wondering about Stuart Gordon's From Beyond, his sort of follow-up to Reanimator, uh, wasn't in contention. So, And I will say, um, so back before we made that decision, because mm-hmm. initially we were like, yeah, let's also do commentaries. I toyed with putting From Beyond on the list, mm-hmm. but I, I ultimately just went with Reanimator anyway, okay. because I think From Beyond to me is a recent discovery. Yeah. And so therefore I have more enthusiasm for yeah, it. It's a little fresher seen... for us. Yeah, exactly. And I've seen Reanimator so many times mm-hmm. that gun to my head i'd probably want to watch from beyond first at right. this point but i do think reanimator is like the better of yeah the two. Well, no not, the, not it's the more classic of the it two. is it is um okay so we're halfway there we've got alien texas chainsaw massacre evil dead 2 return of living dead and reanimator um okay so it's back to me um i don't think this is a reach but you never know I, 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 it came to me pretty quickly. I would like to nominate Wes Craven's Scream. Oh, okay. I'll tell you, Friday the 13th Part 2 is what took Scream's place on my list. Okay. Um, but yeah, I do love Scream. I toyed with it being on my list. Let's put it on. Okay goes on i don't i don't see a reason to veto that sure yeah um okay i think also uh we're talking classic horror movies doesn't get much more classic than halloween yeah it's definitely true now i have a question yeah do we have to choose can we have multiple series movies i do in, in Okay, great. Yeah. Then I do too. I right. do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, no argument. Halloween '78. I assume you're not talking about Rob Zombie's Halloween. No. I'm as much as we were sh- pleasantly surprised by it, it is <laughs> not going on the murderous <laughs> route. <laughs> no. 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 Okay. Great. All right. Halloween '78 is on. Um, okay. Well, uh, let's not beat around the bush. I. Uh, I think. I think Eric and I. I'm guessing we're on the same page here. I had also put Halloween three season of the witch on my top 10. Mine. I did too. Okay, great. It's on. All right. We have two slots left and now I think things are going to get a little more interesting. (sighs) I think I might make a cut from my own list. Okay. Hmm. I have an idea also. I'm just going to throw out there. Because we sure. we didn't really resolve how to handle this. Um, you were asking about vetoes for today or for the future. We've made it this far. 
What do you say we just, for now, have three vetoes to use ever? Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. So you have to be sort of strategic yeah. of when you're going to use your vetoes. Because there's yeah. no way both of us are going to use all three on these next two movies. No. Um, no. So, yeah, you can use one or not, and then you have them for future episodes. And that means you do not need a consensus to get a movie onto the murderer's row. You can just nominate mm-hmm. it, and, and, and the other the other person can veto it or let it through. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's my pick, right? It is your pick. I'm going to pull an audible here. Okay. Eliminate one of my entries. Oh, man. Does this feel right? I mean, I'm going to say Predator. Okay. So, Predator is on my list, but when you threw the curveball of Friday the 13th Part 2 at me, yeah, and I started talking about cutting something, this is what my mind went to. Yeah. I said, if I was going to bump something out for Friday the 13th Part 2... It would probably be Predator. And I think part of that was informed by what you said about horror movies, right? Mm-hmm. We love Predator. Um, but it's only half, if if even a third, a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I think if you're defining its genre, I think, I think horror probably comes after, certainly after action and maybe after sci-fi. Sci-fi, yeah. So you know what? I'm going to have to use a veto one way or the other. I'm going to veto Predator, which was on okay. my own list. But I think you have you have swayed me. Okay. Great. I mean, honestly, I'm fine with that outcome. Okay. Though, before you veto it, okay. does it make sense? We have two slots, right? We have two slots. I'm going to withdraw Predator because I'm curious. Okay. No. Hmm. I, my, the choi- I'm torn between uh-huh. two movies okay. that I'm going to eliminate from my list. What's your next movie? And then we can go from there. Okay. So you want to just withdraw, skip your turn, and have me propose another movie. Yeah. Because if we have the same next uh-huh. pick, okay. then that one stays. Okay. I think. The last one on my list, because Predator was on my list. Yeah. Uh, is Phantasm. Okay. All right. Before we go any further. Okay. The two that I have left on my list mm-hmm. are Predator and Aliens. Interesting. Okay. Aliens is not on yours. It is not. Right? Yeah. yeah. Therefore, I think we can eliminate it from my list. Okay. Because it's not on yours. Yeah. It's not on mine. Phantasm I did not include, Mm -hmm. but I'm very cool with having it on the list. Okay. So Wait, 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 wait. This doesn't solve anything. Well, it does in the sense that, I mean, okay, so the rules are the rules, whatever. We can use vetoes when we want to. Also, I feel like if you and I are able to reach a... An agreement here. We we make a plea deal. You know, this is yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. uh, Okay. So so I think both of us had movies that i think now that we are we're sort of exploring it in a little bit more depth are maybe just not quite what yes this list calls for yes yes and also it's like we talked about you know who knows next week we might have a new movie for the the murderer's row and then one of these is going to have to go 
Mm-hmm. So we're also like, to a certain degree, one of these movies is just battling for the chance to be on the murderer's row for a week. For a week, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think we're kind of reaching that same conclusion that that you know, staying a little bit closer to home in terms of horror maybe bags yeah. you a few extra points. Because if Predator doesn't make it, because it's horror third, yeah, Aliens also is in that same category, right? For me, okay. So I'm I'm putting up Phantasm. What's say? I'm passing you? it through. You're letting it go, okay? And then you have so then one left. Finally, we're back to the start. I'm putting up Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Veto. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Friday the Thirteenth Part Two sounds good to me. Okay, great. Okay, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna jump on my Excel here, and I'm gonna say, Hey, sort me A to Z, baby. In alphabetical order, these are unranked, okay? The top 10 is just the top 10. We're not going to fight over who's on top. No. Uh, we have... It's Alien. Yeah. We have Alien. <laughs> uh-huh. We have Evil Dead 2. Friday the 13th Part 2. Halloween 1978. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Phantasm. Reanimator. Return of the Living Dead. Scream, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Brother, that's a that's a hell of a list. That's a that's a that's a real Halloween movie marathon right there. That is honestly, it's like we should just watch those movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And who knows what will happen next week? But yeah, who knows? Yeah. But for now, that is the Murderers Row. So uh, so give them one last hug before the bailiff takes them. Uh, you know, back there, and and then they go to the jail, and they hear a little. Hey. <laughs> and I'll say, not to spoil anything, uh-huh. it doesn't stop with the murderers' row. Oh, We're no. celebrating the best. Yeah, I think there's got to be a place for the worst of the worst. Maybe there but is. That's for another time. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of another time. Next week, we're going to be talking about Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Let me see where that is available while you plug our socials. Absolutely. Uh, We're available almost everywhere under the moniker Killstreak Pod. So that would be Killstreak Pod on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, You can email us at killstreakpod at gmail.com. I just remembered today that there is a killstreakpod.com. Oh, yeah, there is. Yeah. Yeah. If you already I think the listened, latest episode is already is always there. Yeah, if you if you already listen to the podcast, I'll be honest. There's nothing for you there. It's only, <laughs> it's it's literally only for people who have never heard the podcast. And it's like, hey, yeah. this is what it is. You should listen to it. Uh, if you already do, screw that. You know, maybe send the link to someone else though. You know, sharing is caring. Sharing is caring. Yeah. Did you find anything out? Yep, it's uh, streaming on HBO Max, if you have that. Fantastic. Otherwise, it's a rental. Okay, beautiful. I also have it on Blu-ray. I don't know if I do. I might. Yeah, But I don't but think I it's probably a, I don't be think watching it's a good it on Blu-ray. HBO Max. It's like a Target yeah. Stanley Kubrick three-pack. <laughs> yeah, I, got, I visited the Warner Brothers lot uh-huh. back when I was like a PA or something. Sure. And, you know, these lots have stores mm-hmm. where they sell their DVDs for yeah. cheap. I, I used to Stanley. buy a bunch of stuff at the Fox lot when I worked. Yeah. There. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then I bought a Stanley Kubrick box set that that is part of. Nice. Uh, still have never seen Barry Lyndon. So. I don't know. I'm I, I'm planning on watching it soon. Uh, I don't know. If there's another. It's great. There's another movie podcast people probably know of because it's uh, exponentially more famous than ours. But Blank Check, they're doing the the whole filmography of Stanley Kubrick right now. Um, and I think they're actually going to hit The Shining. If they didn't just do it, they'll do it soon. So, uh, you know, you can compare episodes. But uh, Oh, that would be fun. But I, I, mentioned, I mentioned it because uh, that's podcast. I'll probably watch Barry Lyndon so I can listen to the episode of the pod. Um, yeah, I'm excited to do it. And as always, I think that an evil house attracts evil men. Yes, I looked that up as I was talking. (laughs) It was a little better than the intro.